Welcome to the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons. Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of the Everyday Lions podcast. This week, my Lions pride had some pyramid training in Alberston. So the runners went one minute, two minute, three minute, four minute, and then back down. Everyone trained really well. It's such a beautiful area along there, just where the rowing club starts and finishes. Uh, It was a pretty windy night, but everyone trained really well. And then on Thursday night, the Devonport crew, which was yesterday, had a three kilometer time trial at the Devonport Oval. I just wanted to try something different with my crew. A lot of them uh, have never raced on a track before. Um, Even though it was a grass service, it was quite heavy, but it's nice to try something uh, different. And all the runners ran really well. And then just to finish off the session, they headed over to Bluff Hills and did three of those. So well done everyone who completed the time trial last night. A special shout out to Lauren Cannell who has Bruni Island 64km ultra race coming up. The last two days she's completed uh, two 30km runs back to back. Well done on completing this and uh, enjoy the tape for the next few weeks before race day. So well done to Lauren. Also massive news with the race that I'm organising the Everyday Lions and Tax Centre Great Train Race, where runners will be racing the train. Entries have just opened. So it's $30 for adults over the seven kilometre journey and $10 for kids in the two kilometre race. Uh, If you're looking for a fun run, it's in April next year. If you want to find out more information about this, you can head over to the Everyday Lions and Tax Centre Great Train Race Facebook page and there's a link there to enter. We've only been open less than a week and we've already got 24 entries which I'm stoked about. We're still 20 weeks away from race day. And some kids training. We have Cubs training. That's every Friday at quarter past four in Devonport. Uh, it's, it's just a place of learning. We have lots of games. Uh, the kids never stop. They're always running. And if you have a, a child aged between 10 and 14 and you think this is something they'd be interested with, please head over to www.everydaylines.org and check out the kids or adults training. Everything's runner-centered, so it's your goals, not mine, and I would love to see you come along. Personally, in my own running, that's stalled a bit. My knee has been giving me a lot of issues lately, and I've booked into the physio Tuesday to find out what's going on. Hopefully, it's a start. Yeah, start to uh, see what's going on, and. Hopefully a few exercises will uh, get me up and running. And don't forget that Run 4 Out is every Wednesday in Devonport at quarter to six, leaving from the bluff in all different courses and locations they run. And Thursdays is Poolmates at half past six, I think. And Friday Fresh at half past five every Friday morning. And good luck to all those runners who are in their final preparation for Launceston 10. I saw the Elite Field announce a couple of days ago. Looks like an absolute cracker. I'm looking forward to helping out on the day and helping Richard out with some special comments on the course. That'll be uh, something to look forward to. And yeah, I just can't wait to see what's gonna happen. It'd be great to see uh, local 
hometown hero and favourite Millie Clark try and get a PB as well in the half marathon. Okay, to this week's guest. This week's guest is Devonport legend Dion Kenzie. Dion Kenzie is a para-Olympian and his pet event is the 1500 metres. We'll talk about what classification he actually is in the Paralympics. He's a world champion as well as a silver medalist at the Rio Paralympic Games. Dion is such a nice young man. Uh, We talk about what lessons he's learned in his racing and training over the years, what goals he's got coming up. Obviously Tokyo is coming up in 2021, so that's what we talk about as well. If you did enjoy this podcast, please reach out to Dion. I reckon Dion would think that's pretty cool. Until next time, I've been your host, Brian Lyons. This is the Everyday Lions podcast, and happy running. Here's Dion. Welcome to the Everyday Lions podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lyons. Today's guest is Dion Kenzie. Uh, you would have to been living under a rock if you haven't heard of Dion. Dion is originally from Devonport, but now lives in Canberra. Dion is a silver medalist at the Rio Paralympic Games and a gold medalist at the IPC World Championships. Are you there, Dion? Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me on the show, uh, Lindsay. It's um, yeah. Welcome to the show, mate. How's your day been? Yeah, fantastic. Thanks. Just um, we're currently up in Perisher for a training camp at the moment. So, yeah, I already got out this morning and got one of my runs done. So, yeah, it's good to be up in the high altitude. Great. And uh, how far was your run this morning? Ah, uh, so on Fridays it's usually our our lighter session for the week. So, usually just um, an eight k run. Uh, yeah. Then a gym session as well. Great. And you've got a bit of a crew up there at the moment. You've got lots of runners. Yeah, we do have a um, yeah pretty good crew up here at the moment. So, um, obviously, Jared Clifford, who's a um, who's a uh, double world champion um, at the IBC World Championships last year. Uh, he's guide runner, Tim. Um, our coach, Philo Saunders, um, who's, uh, yeah, obviously – uh, the physiologists at the Australian Institute of Sport, um, and yeah, a few of other guys as well. So Sam Harding, who's obviously another vision impaired athlete, um, Keely Small, who's um, 800 meter runner, obviously went to the Commonwealth Games and did really well there as well, uh, and obviously a few other guys who are, who are doing great things as well. So yeah, we've got an awesome squad up here, and it's it's just awesome to to sort of be in the training environment for a few weeks. Great. And uh, have you been sponging some uh, information off all those great, great athletes and names and, and knowledge there? Yeah, absolutely. We sort of all uh, all get around each other and, you know, it's just um, it's a really good culture in our squad at the moment. You know, we all we all want the best for each other. So it's just really like awesome training environment, sort of getting up in the altitude for a few weeks and obviously living together and, and, and doing everything together. So... I think, um, you know, whenever any of us need any advice, we can sort of always lean on each other um, for a bit of support, which is, which has been awesome over the last couple of years. Great. And that's, that's so important when you've um, got 
a lot of guys who've got dissimilar goals all going forward. You know, you know, we've got this one big goal, which would probably most likely para Olympics would be the the big goal coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, um, yeah, working working towards the Paralympics. Um, obviously, it didn't happen this year. Um, but I mean, for me personally, it's probably it's been a blessing in disguise. It's sort of it's given me an extra twelve months there just to be become basically bigger and better. So um, I guess the last sort of you know six to eight months of training has, has probably been some of the best work I've done. So I'm really excited to sort of um, put that into practice over the competition season this year and, and really get excited about um, Tokyo 2021. Awesome. And that's a great way to look at it. Uh, I think when the world went to shit, a lot of people were like, oh, bugger. Especially in your position, they were like, oh, oh no. But that's great that you looked at it that way. It's another year to get stronger, another year to get better as a runner and, and really have another crack, eh? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's only, you know, there's only one way to look at it and that's, um, you know, from a constructive point of view, you know, like what can you take out of the, the situation just to, to become better? Um, obviously, what's happened in the world this year isn't ideal, but it hasn't been ideal for anyone. So no, sort of exactly. just to obviously become the best I can be. And yeah, I guess uh, the last six, eight months, there's, there's been no complaints on my end. It's sort of, it's been a great period of training. And yeah, like I said, I'm just really excited to... Um, sort of see the results of that over the next over the next 12 months fantastic and we're talking running now but how did you actually get into the running how did this all come about for you yeah oh, that's a great question so I think running for me I, I sort of in primary school I really just um I enjoyed running I sort of in my lunch break sometimes I'd, I'd be that kid sort of running laps around the around over in lunchtime and people would be asking me why I was running and I think at that time I didn't really know myself, but I just um, I just really enjoyed it. Um, and I guess over sort of that sort of year five, year six period, I I went from someone who would probably finish you know fifth or fourth in the in the school cross country to sort of starting to place um, in sort of later primary school. Um, but it probably wasn't until about year seven where I really thought in the year seven where I thought you know I really wanted to um, start running on a consistent basis. Um, I was playing football at times, so I really just wanted to in- improve my fitness so I could obviously keep up with the boys and, and, and play some good football. So, yeah, cool. um, yeah by about end of year seven, I'd, I'd start sort of, you know, doing about 6K every day. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really have a clue what I was doing at the time. I just um, I just got out there um, and really enjoyed it. Um, but I think over time, you know, the, the love for running really um, – really uh, just come through. And I, I think I realised that I was enjoying that more than football. Um, yep. So it's probably about the middle of, uh, about the midway through grade eight, where I started getting some good results. I'd, I'd won the school cross country and had placed all right at the um, the Northwest uh, competitions as well. So I thought I'd, um, I'd look sort of around to see sort of who was coaching at the time. And um, obviously Mike Gunson, uh, a local legend in Devonport um, was coaching a few of my friends as well. So I reached out to Anna and, um, <clears throat> yeah, it turned out to be one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, to be honest. It was, um, um, it's been a whirlwind ever since. Um, yeah. yeah. It's... So Mick was your first coach. And um, yep. what does this relationship mean to you now, even though you've moved on from Mick? 
what does Mick mean to you, mate? Oh, I, I, I have no words to describe. You know the the amount of um, the amount of gratitude and everything that I have for Gunner. You know, my I certainly wouldn't be where I am today without him. Uh, just his just his help in you know getting me to where I am today, um, and just basically you know when I first started, obviously knew nothing about the sport. I I was quite a young boy, you know. Well, I was basically a boy at the time, so um, he really just enabled me to, you know, um, take the sport on professionally. Um, you know, at the time, obviously, there's there's a lot to learn when you when you're just starting out in sport. Um, and I think the role as a coach, it's it's more than just the sport itself. It it, it goes into every aspect of your life. And I think the the lessons that you learn, um, well, but you learn from your from your coach. Actually, you know, it ends up becoming part of your life as well. So. Um, kind of just wasn't a coach to me. He was he was a, he was a great um, a mentor and role model in just every aspect of my life. So um, yeah, I've you know I've been fortunate to have some some great um, role models in my life so far. Obviously, I'm um, a coach now, Philo Saunders as well. Uh, just them two guys, my two two coaches throughout my career have just had a fantastic impact on me. Not just um, in obviously the sport aspect, but in just every aspect of life as well. Yeah, and it's uh, it's been great to watch your your journey, mate. I remember when you did first starting started to train with Mick. I, I said, "Who's this kid? God, he can hurt. He, he he really loves to hurt, and you can't teach that in a runner." And that's one of the first things that stood out from me that you love the pain. Would you would you say that as well? You're someone who who really invites yeah. the pain on. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I guess um, I just really love to – I love the pain um, <clears throat> of training. I, I really um, – that's really what I enjoy most, I guess. Um, I think sometimes it's it's awesome because obviously you can get the best out of yourself. Um, but at other times too, obviously it has its downfall. I mean, there's, there's sessions that you, you don't need to be pushing as hard as you do. So, um, yeah. I th- yeah, I think even when I was – when I was with Gunner to now, like the constant advice from Phil on Gunner is, was just always, you know, you need to make sure that you're, you're not pushing over the top in some sessions, but it's something that I, I, you know, I still struggle with to this day. It's sort of, yeah. it's just part of who I am. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've certainly got a lot better at obviously controlling um, how I go in certain sessions. So then when it comes to race day, I can really just um, give it everything that I've got. Yeah, that's such a brilliant point you've touched on. I'm so glad you did touch on that because I think it's better to train sometimes at 85 to 90%. You know, it saves injury. It's just all about accumulation. It's not about killing yourself every session. Yeah. That'll, that'll lead to injury or make you tired for, I don't know, important race coming up or anything. So that's a great point yeah. to touch on. Yeah, I think um, obviously um, as a junior, you can probably get away with it a little bit more. Um, yeah. You know, in my teenage years, like every session, I think me and Kay would, Kay would just <laughs> yeah. really hammer ourselves every session. And I think at that age, you can sort of, you can do it all right um, and probably get away with it, obviously, when you're doing a little bit lower mileage as well. But I think as you develop and, and um, mature, you sort of, you know, and you're doing a lot more volume, you, you sort of just can't be doing that every session. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And... <clears throat> We've touched on uh, the IPC World Championships and mm-hmm. Para Olympic 
Championships, and you're in the T38 classification. Yep. Did you want to explain that a little bit for the listeners so they have an idea of what this is all about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically, if you're not familiar with the Paralympic Games, uh, obviously it's for people with a physical impairment. So, uh, you know, whether that be uh, missing an arm, missing a leg, uh, cerebral palsy, which is what I have, um, or any sort of other coordination impairment, uh, vision impairment, uh, and basically any sort of physical disability uh, that you can think of. So basically they, they categorise that. So like um, the T basically stands for track. Uh, so like Paralympians that would be swimmers, for example, that'd probably be an S. Um, that's just a way of classifying it. Uh, then they have the different numbers. So you have 38, so that's my category. The three basically means uh, for athletes with cerebral palsy, uh, then they categorise that from, so for cerebral palsy, it goes from four to eight. So four is the most extreme. So that may be someone uh, participating who's in a wheelchair. Uh, then eight is basically the, 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 lower, the lowest amount of um, impairment, I guess. So uh, for cerebral palsy, uh, for me personally, uh, I'm only affected through my right leg. So um, okay. just mainly in my, in my right ankle, I sort of, I like a lot of range of movement there and just the contraction through my right calf. I obviously, obviously don't get as much air as well. So yeah, uh, I guess for me, like, um, you know, at the moment, like I compete against other athletes basically on the same sort of severity, I, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, as it sort of goes down through the categories, it, it gets a little bit more severe. Uh, so that's a little bit about how the sort of the categories work. Um, but yeah, is, do you want me to sort of elaborate a little bit more? On- no, no, that's great, mate. I've actually learned a lot. I didn't know what those uh, numbers meant. So for me, I've, I've learned something today. So thank you. Oh, oh, fantastic. Yeah. And you found out with the cerebral palsy, like how does it affect your running? Like does this happen when you get really tired? These things sort of accentuate more? Is that what happens? Yeah, um, that's that's a fantastic question because I think as you know, there's lots of misconceptions around cerebral palsy and and how it affects athletes, and I'm sure um, you know it, it affects everyone differently. I mean, that's the thing with a disability; it's it's never going to be a hundred percent fair, just like everyone's ability as well. I mean, you know, everyone's got different degrees of ability, um, and it's the same with disability as well. So um, that's just the way it works, um, but. For me personally, I guess um, the CP, I'm pretty lucky. I mean, in every everyday life is sort of, you know, I'm able to do most things just like everyone else. So, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm really um, thankful for that. Um, but I guess in terms of a 1,500-metre race, it's probably it's probably more towards the end of a race um, that it really starts to affect me. So um, it's just sort of, uh, I guess you could say, the repeatability of just yeah. the contractions um, throughout your body. Um, that really probably affects CP more. It's not so much the pure strength. Uh, we've actually we've done a fair bit of strength training around, obviously the right side and the left side, um, and it's actually interesting that the CP side sometimes is just as strong as the uh, you know the able-bodied side. Um, it's not so much the pure strength. It's more just that repeatability over time. So I guess you could say in the fifteen hundred meter race, it's really that last two, 300 metres where I really got to accelerate to finish the race, but it really starts to affect me. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting, mate. Uh, yeah. 
I've learned a few things today. So, so thank you for that, number one. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. And so you had your first taste of international racing in 2013 in mm-hmm. Lyon, France. Can you tell me how this came about and, and what the qualification was and how you went at that race? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I might just uh, rewind it back probably about a year before that. So yeah, um, I think it was about early 2012. I, was, I remember I was doing a session around Meercroft and um, uh, my mum come to it come to pick me up one day and um, gonna had a conversation with me and my mum. He was, he was a little bit uncertain at the time whether he, it would be something worth pursuing. Um, obviously, as I've been someone most of my life that had had a disability, obviously, but I've been able to do most things, so I never really considered myself uh, someone with a disability. So I think, you know, when you're, you, when you're a young man in high school, it's probably something that you're you don't want to confront that, you know, you had a disability. Um, so, yeah, like he had a conversation with my mum back then and just mentioned about the power movement. So I think it was Brian Rowe that sort of picked up on my CP one day when I was running and, yeah, Gunnar thought, you know, there's a great opportunity there for me to um, advance my career. So he sort of, yeah, he, he, he decided that he would reach out to mum and, and have that conversation and obviously with me as well. So... I, I think that's, that's really where, um, you know, the fork in the road um, come in for me and where I made the decision that I'd sort of go down the track to become a Paralympian. So sort of early 2012 that, um, yeah, obviously we heard about that. Um, and it was probably, it was only a couple of months later that I remember I went to Melbourne to get classified and started competing in um, in some events to yeah, obviously um, get recognised as a para-athlete so um, I could sort of advance my career from there. So, yeah, like we're saying, <clears throat> I made my first team. Sorry, I've got a bit of a sore throat at the moment up here and out. Yeah, so it was probably about early 2013 that um, we sort of – we realised that, you know, I had a good shot at making the World Championships uh, later in that year, so – sort of started targeting a few events and um, I, was, I was fortunate enough to obviously run quite well and, and be able to go to the national championships and qualify. So that's really where it all started off off for me. I was obviously a pretty young boy um, at, at that time, but, I mean, the, the world championships that year was a great experience and, you know, what, a, what I was able to take from that to obviously apply uh, the, the following world championships, then the one after that to obviously win um it's just been a huge learning experience yeah great uh, <coughs> and um were there, were there big crowds that were watching as well in in that first set of championships yeah i think um over in europe um i mean the the level uh just the amount of people that enjoy watching athletics i mean it's it's sensational i mean um there's so many people that get around the sport particularly para athletics i remember in in london in 2017 i i think the whole bottom bottom ring there was about forty thousand people there watching so wow jeez just for a world championships that was uh, pretty fantastic Um, yeah sorry what and, and you walked away with a bronze medal from this first set of championships that yep. you went to. Um, and like you said, the the experience that you grabbed from that, was it, I mean, was it the fact that just 
the racing experience as well or I think it was, yeah, obviously the racing experience, but just sort of um, learning the ins and the outs of what it meant to be a professional athlete, sort of being around, obviously, other Aussie athletes, sort of seeing how they go about preparing for uh, their major competitions, but also, too, just um, my competitors as well. I mean, uh, one of my main competitors, Michael McKillop, uh, just the way he went about, um, obviously, his running and just his level of professionalism. Uh, you know, he's someone that I've looked up to throughout my career and, um, we're, you know, we're, we're good mates as well. So I think, uh, you know, from that 2013 World Championships now, just my level of growth in terms of obviously being a professional athlete and, and getting the best out of myself um, when it comes to those big competitions is, yeah, has been, um, has been crucial. Yeah, great. And, and, and what are some of the stuff that you do? Is it stuff like sleep and diet and... Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, um, obviously, sleep's a main one for me. I think, or for any um, any runner that wants to get the best out of themselves, I think if you're not getting getting enough sleep, you're obviously not going to get um, everything out of your training sessions. So, for me, I, I keep it pretty basic. You know, I think um, sleep, nutrition, getting plenty of water, and just plenty of rest throughout throughout the day is just you know the fundamentals of obviously recovering well from a session so um yeah for me just nailing those first and foremost have have been crucial um then everything else obviously like every other form of recovery like massage and physio and everything like that is just the cherry on top um obviously plays a huge role but yes nutrition have been a priority yeah perfect it's all about that next session isn't it especially the um I suppose the interval sessions are, are are the most important, or your longer runs and rebound for the next one, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And so we fast forward to 2014, mm-hmm. and you broke your first world record at home. Correct me if these stats are wrong. Uh, you ran 4:08. What was it like breaking uh, the two, 2:38 world record at home? First of all, and yeah, what you I- expected. Yeah, it was actually um, interesting. I remember the day me and, me and Gunnar uh, was drove down to Hobart. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess just I just remember I was I was sort of I was feeling a little bit uncertain, but I could just I could just tell how certain Gunnar was that I was going to break it that day. So I was sort of um, you know I was when we got down there I, I started warming up and I think it was probably about 15, 20 minutes into my warm up and when all these um, Film, film, film reporters started rocking up. Oh, uh, uh, Southern Cross and and uh, Win TV as well. So um, I think that was Gunner's way of just saying, "Hey, you know, you've got this, and uh, today's the day to do it." So yeah, um, I guess it, it put a bit of pressure on me, but you know, that's the that's the type of pressure that you have at a World Championships as well. So I think um, for me, I was I was able to obviously get the job done that day, and yeah, it was that's probably been you know, one of my highlights of my career so far. Um, obviously, I don't rest on my laurels. Um, our category has advanced a lot since then. I think the world record currently is about 3.56, okay. which is obviously a lot quicker than than what it was back then. Um, but in saying that, at the time, that was just, um, yeah, it was just phenomenal. Um, just, a, just a fantastic <clears throat> experience and, yeah, a memory that I'll cherish for the rest of my life. Yeah, fantastic. 
And you've actually got that race on camera then? If the camera crew was there, have you got a copy of that? Yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I've got a copy. Um, yeah. My grandparents at the time uh, filmed it on Win TV and um, oh, fantastic! And sent me a few recordings of it. So yeah, yeah. it's um, it'll be good to look look back on that one in a long time, long time to show the grandkids. That's for sure. Yeah, beautiful. And uh, going away from the running just a little mm-hmm. bit, what does Dion's life look like when he's not running? What are you into? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've started with. A few businesses in my time, uh, probably the main one being um, kombucha a few years ago. So I manufactured kombucha for probably about two years, two and a half years. Um, but I stopped doing that. It would have been probably about September last year. So um, I guess for me, I sort of, I found that I was probably committing a little bit too much time to that. Um, and probably wasn't doubling down on my running enough. So um, yeah, I'd sort of made the call. It would have been probably about September last year to really just um, focus more uh, on my running leading into Tokyo. Obviously, we thought Tokyo was going to be this year, uh, but obviously not. Um, but, I mean, for me, um, for running, from the running aspects, it's just allowed me to sort of take my running to the next level, just to really double down and, and focus on that solely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I sort of – I really um, I really enjoy, um, you know, business and – it's sort of that aspect of life. So um, I'm pretty keen to start another business soon. Yeah, great. Do you know what sort of business? Or you keeping that quiet? I really, or? <laughs> I really enjoy food and um, just, um, yeah, health food. I really enjoy, you know, the, the impact that that can have on people's lives because I know that with, with the right food and the right nutrition that we can really, you know, we can really change um, basically our physiology and everything. So, um, that's something that I'm really passionate about and yeah, I really want to obviously after running focus on it a lot more. Um, but it's something obviously I want to get into a little bit more now as well. Great. Great. No, that's unreal, mate. Sounds awesome. Cool. And so you had your second, second crack at the, uh, IPC world championships in 2015. Mm-hmm. This was <coughs> in Doha. And if anyone doesn't know about Doha, it's quite, quite hot, quite warm. Uh, did you want to walk me through this experience? And Yeah. <clears throat> uh, this one was a, an interesting World Championships because I think it was the one that probably didn't go to plan um, but probably learnt the most from, from as well. Um, so leading into it, my preparation um, obviously had done a fair bit. Um, we usually go up to the Gold Coast for a training camp for about three to four weeks sort of leading into that. So that World Championships... Obviously, it's a little bit warmer than than Tasmania. <clears throat> Sorry, than Tasmania through the through the winter months. So, spent a bit of time up there. Um, and yeah, I guess um, just the preparation leading in. Um, I yeah, just um, yeah, I guess my training at the time, like I, I was training hard, but I probably just wasn't doing the the little one percent things that you know, if you if you want to be a professional athlete and 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 be up there, then you need to be doing. And I guess at the time I wasn't doing that. Um, my nutrition wasn't great. Uh, you know, going to really talk to me about that at the time. Um, and I guess it was sort of, it probably wasn't until probably 2016 or well after that world championships that we really reevaluated and, and picked up on some of those things and how we can improve it, um, which we did. Um, but yeah, leading into that world championships, 
yeah, I, I, I'd done the training, um, but I guess my results there weren't what I was expecting. So uh, in the 800, um, I think I was coming third for most of the race. Um, then actually, I was pretty lactic. And if anyone's ever experienced lactic acid, you know, it can be a pretty big build up in the body. So the last sort of 75 metres of a race, I sort of felt my legs going. And uh, unfortunately, I actually fell over. Um, oh, okay. Just because of so much lactic acid build up. Um, it was actually fascinating. I think um, a lot of athletes in different events were actually falling over. So um, whether the hit has a bit of an impact on that or not, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, obviously that's something that um, was pretty pretty devastating at the time. You know, I was I was in a medal position, um, but then obviously fell over and actually finished seventh. So okay. uh, I think for a young athlete that can be pretty heartbreaking. But I took a lot out of that and, and really um, used that as fuel for the following years. Um, so <clears throat> that was 800. Um, then in the 15, I was, I was pretty fortunate. I was able to back up and, and win a bronze medal in that one. Um, but obviously, yeah, relative to how I was going at the time, it, it probably wasn't the result I should have had. <clears throat> yeah. But uh, all these experiences in, in racing and, and life, <clears throat> make you the runner like you said that you become and it sounds like it made you a lot more hungrier for Rio coming up which was a year or less than a year away um so you made all those changes heading in into Rio um was it was it a weight issue as well with your diet were you finding that you're a little bit heavier than you should have been is that what the case was or yeah absolutely I think um Diet was probably the main one at the time. It's not that I was eating unhealthy. I just, um, you know, I really enjoyed food. I'd eat yeah. a lot. That's <laughs> um, no, who doesn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. you got to eat a lot. Um, and obviously, I was, I was growing at the time too. So, obviously, I had to take that into consideration. Um, so, yeah, I was probably a couple of kilos heavier than, than what I should have been. Um, but, yeah, I guess, um, you know, I, I sort of – I learned what I could from that. Obviously, I've improved my nutrition since. It's 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 fantastic now. I think um you know I I can't really fault my diet. You know, ninety nine percent of the time I eat the foods that I should. So um, I know that I'm getting the best out of myself. So yeah, I sort of don't look back on that experience and regret it. I sort of just look back on it and think you know what a what a great learning experience it was. Um, and yeah, like you said, I, I was able to. Uh, sort of correct that at the time then um when i went into rio i was actually able to um improve my improve my result a little bit um to come away with the silver medal so yeah right. pretty and uh the the paralympics it's a it's a pinnacle of your sport mm -hmm. what was this like this is something you know you you uh 2013 you started this journey and then yeah. you know fast forward three years what was it like opening ceremony, athlete village, the whole thing. It's, um, to be honest, it's, it's surreal. You're sort of, um, it, yeah, you know, when you're in the stadium, you know, you, you've, you've got less than four minutes coming up to, to run a race. And it's just, um, you know, you struggle to comprehend it at times just because you're obviously you're so focused on running. But, you know, there's a full stadium of, of people, you know, just the way they, they get around Paralympic sport um, in Rio. Rio was phenomenal. <clears throat> Sorry. 
<clears throat> yeah, so um, at the time, like, it was, you know, I was still pretty young at the time, uh, four or five years ago now. Um, sorry, my throat's just a little bit sore. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, it was just fantastic to obviously have my coach, Mike, there at the time um, and my family as well. So uh, I think for them it was a real eye-opener to – just obviously go to a Paralympic Games and and see how it all works. Um, and for me as well, I, I remember it was probably about 600 metres into the race. I just heard Dion, Dion, Dion. And um, at the end of a race, um, you know, I, I saw some footage and just this whole section of the crowd was cheering for me because that's where my family was. Um, oh, beautiful. Just all the Rio, uh, all the locals uh you know, um, from Rio, were just were cheering for me because that's that's where my family was. So that was pretty sensational. Um, and just the way they get around sport there was phenomenal as well. So, um, like you said, yeah, the Paralympic Games is you know the pinnacle of the sport. So, so for me, um, you know, I was just it was a huge honour to be there. Um, but at the same time, you know. I, as much as I was happy to come away with the silver medal, um, you know, I was really there for the gold one. So yeah. that's really what I'm working towards now. Yeah, fantastic. And we'll talk <coughs> about that a little bit down yep. the track. But we moved to 2017. And this is when, after all these years of training and, and wanting that, that gold medal, uh, where are we? 2017. So I'm just trying to think where it is. is was it London, maybe? Yeah, London yeah. twenty. 20- Yep. So you uh, so you line up for the IPC World Athletic Championships in London, and mm-hmm. how was your form leading into this? Were you were you quite confident leading to that? Did you have a, some 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 results that said, "Yeah, okay, I'm definitely ready here." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that was the year that you know after obviously the results uh, from the first one in 2013, then obviously the mistakes I made mm-hmm. in 2015. I were really just able to gather all that experience over, you know, four or five years and re- really apply that uh, to the World Championships in 2017. So, I mean, that that's a big part of training, you know. Sometimes you you, you need to have, you know, a couple of years uh, behind you and sort of, you know, a couple of bad races, I guess, to really work out what works well for you and, and what doesn't. So, yeah, for me at the time, obviously um, – Obviously, I hadn't won a gold medal before, um, and I sort of went into the games, you know, pretty confident that I could uh, that I could get the result that I wanted to achieve. But at the same time, I, I sort of just kept focusing on, on obviously um, the process of how I was running. Um, so I didn't get too carried away um, with the result. Um, I think that's something that I made a mistake of probably in the previous. Two years before that in Rio um, and in 2015 as well. Uh, obviously, I'd broken the, broken the world record in 2014. Um, so I think sort of after that, sort of I created an expectation that, you know, I should be able to get get the gold medal leading into these events, um, which probably isn't, <clears throat> probably isn't the ideal mindset. Obviously, uh, going into a race, you want to be really focused on the process and, and not the outcome focused. So... Uh, in 2017, like my preparation leading into the games was really good. Uh, we had a we usually go over to Flagstaff for a bit of altitude training, um, and that went really well. Uh, then obviously a bit of a 
a training camp before that. So I think in 2017, we was actually over in um, Cologne in Germany. We sort of did uh, a few races over there before going into the World Championships. Great. <coughs> and did you want to elaborate a little bit more on yeah. the on the attitude <coughs> training and 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 how and how high you're up and a little bit a little bit about Colorado because it's it's a centered you know it's it's a running town. People yeah. go there especially to train, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Flagstaff is um in Arizona, but obviously over in the US, yeah, there's there's Colorado and Arizona, which are you know two really um high altitude states <clears throat> that are basically you know they're renowned for running. Um, when you go there, you know you'll you'll probably see some of the highest profile athletes in the world uh, training there and and doing the exact same thing as what you're doing. So um, it's sort of it's a fantastic environment for training. Uh, it's got so many trails and, and over in the US, I think in a small town like Flagstaff, you know, they have about three or four uh, athletics tracks, which I guess Flagstaff probably wouldn't be that much bigger than Devonport. So just imagine yeah, wow. <laughs> that you have three or four athletics tracks. So I guess you could say that's their level of commitment to um, athletics and everything like that. So it's, <clears throat> it was a real eye-opener for me. Um, I think the first time I went to Flagstaff would have been in 2015. Um, man, Gunnar went over with, um, obviously, Philo and and a couple of other guys from the, the Paris squad and, um, obviously, the able-bodied squads as well. So I think for me as a young athlete, that was just a real eye-opener um, and a real, really good opportunity to, to learn from you know, other other professional athletes that, that have obviously gone to Paralympic and Olympic Games. So, yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> that first altitude camp, I think, was a tough one. It's, it's yeah. at about 2,100 metres, I believe, just at sort of the base level in Flagstaff. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure um, for anyone that's listening if they've ever been to altitude, um, but there is obviously quite thinner the higher you go and and when you try and run in it, <laughs> it makes it even harder. So um, yeah. I think initially those first couple of sessions are, are pretty um, brutal. Um, but by the time you, you know, you've finished a period down there, you, you certainly notice the results when you, when you're on the track after that. Yeah. And how many weeks did you spend up there? Yeah. So usually um, altitude block for us, um, probably a minimum of three weeks. Um, so Obviously, we're in parachute at the moment for a bit of altitude block. Uh, and, yeah, usually um, the minimum would be about three weeks. And usually usually we wouldn't go much over a month. So, yeah, usually three to about five weeks yeah. max is a good time frame for us. And, and you mentioned uh, you, don't, you don't turn up altitude in the uh, first day and do a session, do you? You, you, uh, you just ease into it and a few easy runs. Yeah. Is, is that how you approach your training when you go to attitude it's sort of yeah absolutely i think it takes um your best to obviously leave it about yeah five uh, five days to at least a week before you really do a session um that's going to test you um and you usually find you know you sort of don't want to be comparing yourself to your best times when you go to attitude because no. <laughs> you're a long way off where you were uh at sea level so it's really just about obviously getting the training done that first week and and just um ticking everything off but but knowing that you know you don't need to be big on 100 percent that first week because if you do you're probably probably going to be paying for it in the the second and third week that's for sure yeah 
Absolutely. And and you mentioned um, you saw some big names in the running. Who, who were some big names that you saw just floating about? Yeah. Um, so, um, like, over the period of time that we've been there, we've obviously – Mo Farrell was there at one point. Oh, yeah, right. Cool. Right. <laughs> him in the supermarket. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So that was pretty funny. Um, and also a few of the NBA players as well uh, saw oh, yeah. them up. Um, and just um, the different stories about other athletes that we that go out there. So there's a bit of a, um, I guess, a sports science lab up there. Uh, and okay. one of the guys really takes good care of us there. And um, he also helps out some of the other high, highest profile athletes in the world. So sort of gaining on his knowledge um, was pretty f- phenomenal. Um, he'd worked with, obviously, the Collingwood Footy Club when they used to go there. Uh, a little bit with Venus Williams as well. Uh, and a lot of the high-profile high tennis players who go out there for a bit of altitude training. Uh, and, yeah, just uh, athletes from all different sports that sort of go to Flagstaff to train. It was it was really fascinating just to sort of lean on his experience and, and knowledge around working with these different athletes. Um, right. And, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. And knowledge is power, isn't it? Every little bit you just can sponge and um, yeah. get in, into your running career and, and – and, you know, teach other people as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, that's one thing I'm, I'm so thankful for in my career so far. I've just – I've had great role models and, and great athletes around me and that have really just been – enabled me to get the most out of myself. Um, and sometimes, you know, you, you don't need to, to know anything new, but you just need someone there to sort of reconfirm that what you're doing is, is right and that you're on the right track. So – I think that's yeah. what you know a great great squad and a great coach will do um and yeah i've just been fortunate to have um so much of that throughout my career so far absolutely you know it's someone to uh, first of all accountability someone to yeah. slow you down as well and someone to really you know push you forward as well a coach or a mentor is so important yeah absolutely um yeah like i said i've been i've been so fortunate uh, obviously, like I was saying before, um, having Gunnar as a junior uh, support me throughout that sort of development phase as an athlete and really take me, you know, from, you know, an uh, amateur in the sport to a professional athlete. Uh, then obviously moving to Canberra as well and, and training with Philo and the other pair of guys up here. Um, it's just been, you know, fantastic to sort of gain their experience and and sort of just have a great culture of, of running. You know, I think... Um, you're really, you're really able to get a lot more out of your sport when, you know, you're, you're enjoying it um, and, you know, you, you don't even struggle for motivation because you, you just, you're just loving what you're doing and it's just part of who you are. Yeah, perfectly said. It's, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't, it just becomes a lifestyle, mate, and you don't think about yeah. it. You're just, you're just running because it's something you love to do and you're surrounded by yeah. people who love it as well. Yeah, yep, yeah. absolutely. It's okay. just like brushing. Teeth in the morning, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we moved to 2017. Yeah. Did you want to tell me all about this race and, and yep. what this meant to you? So 2017, sorry? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I was talking a little bit about it before. Yeah, my lead-in had been really good. Um, and just my mindset leading into the race was was really good because it was obviously focused on the actual process um, of the race and hitting specific times throughout the race, not so much on the actual outcome. Uh, so I think sort of 
you know, leaning into the race, I knew that I'd done basically everything I needed to do to win. So I was pretty confident. I think um, at any major championships that I've been to, I think just on the start line, my mindset and everything um, uh, there was probably the best that it's ever been. Um, yeah. and I, I knew that I could get the job done. And, yeah, thankfully that's what I was able to do. Um, it was a fantastic atmosphere. Um, just the way the people in Europe get around um, para, para athletics and just para athletes in general was phenomenal, I think. At the time, the stadium was just about full. Um, I think a couple of rows at the top that was free, but apart from that, it was a um, pretty packed stadium. So to yeah. be able to run in something like that was a real eye-opener. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the result itself, to come away with a gold medal and and more importantly, to share it with, um, you know, people that have had a big impact on my career was just, you know, it's probably one of the best things I've ever experienced. And... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm hungry for more. Great, and I uh, I remember getting up. I think early in the morning to watch this race. I think I set the alarm. I can't remember what what it was Australian time. Maybe three a.m. I'm not sure. I can't I can't remember. But the way I remember the race is you went out from the start quite hard, didn't you? And you led from start to finish. Is that how you race that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, both Mike and um Philo's advice leading into race was like. You know, I just needed to run my own race. I couldn't get too caught up in in how everyone else was running. So that's exactly what I did. I just um, I went out there and, and ran my own race, and th- th- thankfully it paid off. Um, that's probably something I probably couldn't get away with these days, just with the amount of development that's happened in our category just over the last three or four years. Um, but at the time, it worked really well, and, yeah, it was, it was just fantastic to get the result that I wanted. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, your parents were over to see that one as well? Uh, unfortunately not, actually. Um, yeah, so that one that one I went over um, just with the Australian team um, and obviously uh, the Para boys as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great to share that one with, um, obviously, Jared Clifford, um, Michael Roger and, and Philo as well. So we sort of – we really just um, – yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah, great. And, and you've mentioned Philo a few times in this conversation. So you were, were you living in Devonport up to this, to this championship? Yep. Yep. So, um, yeah. uh, I think I, I moved in October, 2018 to Canberra. Okay. But ever since 2013, so, um, Philo, um, had been the Australian coach. Um, so basically he's the Australian, he was the Australian coach for, uh, the Olympic and Paralympic games in Rio in 2016. Uh, and obviously at some of the world championships as well. So uh, whenever we went away, I guess he was um, he was who who we went with, uh, and obviously a few trips to Flagstaff as well, uh, and a few trips over to Canberra um, for a bit of training at the, the institute Institute of Sport there as well. So um, I guess I'd known Philo um, for about five or six years before I actually made the transition. Um, so I guess it, it was a pretty easy transition going from obviously Devonport to Canberra for me. Yeah. And was that, was that solely on your comfortable training with Philo? You knew the training crew, you knew that this is the way to develop your career as well. Yeah. I think, um, at the time I, you know, I'd, I'd been living in Devonport my whole life and I really just wanted to experience something different as well. Um, so it was both obviously, um, a, a running decision, but 
also a um a decision just from everyday life you know sort of you know I wanted to expand my horizons a little bit so for me it was just a way of doing that and yeah moving to Canberra has probably been one of the best decisions I've made I mean I've got some great friends here and just um my level of professionalism I'd say I've, I've been able to take that to another level and and really just improve every aspect of not just my running but my life as well so yeah and do you live by yourself or do you live with other runners or what's the go there yeah so um uh leading into tokyo um i'm actually living with uh jared clifford who's obviously uh, uh won two gold medals at the um the world championships last year last year in the vision impaired category um and his guide, Tim Logan, as well. So sort of good to obviously be tra- uh, living with guys that I'm training with. Um, it's just a really good environment. And, you know, we're, we're awesome mates as well. So, um, yeah. And for those uh, not listening, Jared's a phenomenal athlete. He's, what, he's, he's, is it 60% blind or something like that? It's, it's fairly high, isn't it? Yeah, I believe it's even more than that. Yeah. Um, so I probably can give you the exact amount. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, obviously is basically a legally blind um, athlete. Um, so just the results he's been able to achieve are pretty phenomenal as well. Um, yeah. Listening, like, yeah, not just is he a great para athlete, he's also a great able bodied athlete. Yeah, uh, yeah. Juniors a couple of years ago and, and got some good results there. And yeah, um, just a phenomenal person as well. So, and he must have been a fantastic influence on your running career. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the first time me and Jared met would have been back in 2012. So uh, we've been awesome mates ever since. You know, it's it's probably been you know eight or nine years um, since I first met him. So uh, just seeing his development um, <clears throat> over the last eight or nine years, um, as well as my own, it's 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 yeah, it's just been fantastic and a huge honour to to have Jared as a friend and. You know, I think we've we've both complemented each other uh, throughout our careers, um, and just um, yeah, it's just it's just been fantastic to obviously develop those those relationships um, through running. You know, I think some of you, my my best mates have actually come through running. So great, yeah. and they say uh, success breeds success, <laughs> and um, I think that little training crew you've got with Philo and and Michael. Right. Is, it, is it Roger? Is that how you pronounce yep. it? Yeah. Yep. Um, and did you want to uh, uh, talk a little bit about Michael as well? Because he's quite an amazing athlete himself. And Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Michael um, Roger, uh, Rogues, um, is obviously, um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, arm amputee. Um, so he used to compete predominantly um, in the 1,500 metres uh, probably about four or five years ago um, and in Rio as well. Uh, but ever since he's sort of focused more on the marathons where uh, last year he was actually able to uh, win the world championships. Um, just his influence on uh, not just my career, but basically every sort of para-athlete, um, you know, in Canberra and across Australia. But uh, for us boys uh, in particular, uh, us distance boys, he's just been a huge model for a huge role model for all of us. Uh, just the way he applies himself to his training, you know, he always gives 100%. Uh, and just, yeah, his dedication as a professional athlete, I think that's someone that's really, um, he's been someone that's really just, um, you know, influenced, you know, how we go about our training. Um, 
but just his impact on us, um, both from a running point of view, uh, as well as just, you know, a lifestyle point of view has been unreal. Fantastic, man. It sounds like you're in the, uh, the right, the right area to be for you right now, which is, uh, which is great. Yeah. Um, just the culture that we have in our squad at the moment is, is really good. You know, like I was saying, we, we all get around each other and we all generally want the best for each other as well. So, um, um, you know, everyone's, everyone's, you know, improving and, and going really well. Uh, like you are saying, you know, success breeds success. And I think once someone gets a good result, it's just feel for all of us to do well as well. So, um, hey. yeah. Yeah. And, no uh, what's Canberra like, mate? Do you enjoy Canberra? <clears throat> yeah, it's really good. Um, I think um, obviously a little bit different to Tasmania. Um, I really, I'd really do miss the coast. Um, yeah. but I do love um, Canberra as well. It's, it's been really good. Find the winter months probably it uh, <laughs> doesn't get quite as wet up there. Probably a little bit colder, but not quite as wet. So uh, I've really uh, enjoyed the winter months up there. Um, just a little bit different to the, the windy and wet season in Tassie. Um, but also too, I find it really hot in the summer when it's you know forty degrees over a nice humid twenty five degrees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Canberra's either bloody hot or bloody cold. I've yeah. been there a few times. It's it's a nice place, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. And I know you're a big fan of the carnivals. Did you want to <laughs> – uh, your, your experiences with the carnivals and uh, what, what the carnival racing means to you? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I think I've been running carnivals probably ever since – probably would have been about 2012, 2011. So, you know, it's gone on a decade now that, you know, I've, I've participated in the carnivals. And I think I've just been a huge um, – you know, they're a huge part of um, our community, obviously on the northwest coast, the Devonport Carnival, the Burning Carnival, uh, and the Latrobe Carnival as well. Just, um, you know, so athletes to obviously go and participate, um, but also against some of the best athletes, um, not just in Australia, uh, but the world. Obviously, uh, been pretty fortunate to have Stewie McSwain down there the last couple of years. Um, and obviously, um, you know, um, just different athletes, uh, from anywhere from 15 to five to 10,000 metres, being able to compete against them for um, for just every day athlete can, you know, jump in and have a go and compete against some of the best best athletes in the world. It's just um, it's just awesome um, community experience. Yeah, great. You've nailed it. I hope that they stay around and uh, Let's younger. Hope so. Yeah. And I suppose younger runners coming up can experience what, you and I have experienced and what they're all about. And, you know, it's nice to be, I suppose it's nice to get a bit of cash and, you know, that's the best thing about it, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. I've, I've really enjoyed the carnivals. Um, I think for me, I've, I've been fortunate to um, win Latrobe a couple of times um, and obviously placed in Devonport and Burnie, but uh, I'd really, I think one thing I'd like to have um, at the end of my career is, um, uh, to be able to say that I've won the Devonport Carnival. So, yeah. Uh, let's move on to <laughs> next <couple of> years. <laughs> Mate, that was the same as me. I think I got a, a second, <laughs> third, and two fourths in my, uh, in my running career at Devonport. And it was the one thing that I really wanted to tick off. So, yeah. I wish you the best of luck with that, mate, because there's nothing like racing at home and doing well, is there? No, it's um, it's really good, obviously. Um, basically, being a Devonport boy to be able to, you know, run in front of a home crowd and, 
it's just amazing that you know the amount of people in the community that that get around um obviously the running and the cycling and the wood chopping um and yet yeah, just um it's a great community event and and one that i want to be part of for for a long time to come absolutely yeah and let's hope let's hope they're here to stay i reckon if uh mick gunson has anything to do with it it'll, it'll make sure they stay so yeah yeah and yeah. Uh, you dabbled your hand in a bit of uh, personal training. Is this something that you see yourself doing in the future, or or, or are you doing any of that in Canberra at all? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, I was I did a bit of work at um essential personal training in Devonport uh, for quite a period of years. Um, and that was that was a great experience. Obviously, just helping the everyday person um achieve some great results. Um. I think that, that what I learned through there, I was actually able to apply to my running as well. Just, um, you know, just little aspects of training that you you probably don't really think of. Um, but also to um, just just being able to help, you know, people uh, achieve achieve better results in their lives was was really rewarding. Um, and I'm fortunate that yeah, I do do a little bit of that work at the moment. Just a bit of part-time work up in Canberra. Um, not so much as a personal trainer, but uh, I just work on the um, sort of in the gym um, at the the public section of AIS. So they just have a public area where you know the everyday person can can go and um, achieve some good results. So I, I've been really fortunate to work there for about 12 months now and. It's really, really rewarding to be able to, you know, help someone who probably doesn't know much about, you know, running or, or just strength training in general and actually, you know, achieve, help them achieve um, some good results. Yeah, I can, uh, I can totally align with that, mate, just in uh, my coaching with recreational yeah. runners. It's great seeing people on, on this journey and sometimes you get people who can't even run 5K when they, when they come to you and then, a year down the track, they're running a marathon, which is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, um, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know. And I think um, at the end yeah, of the day, that. after having a period of, you know, you know, 10 years, probably even more for yourself, uh, it's been about, you know, 10 years in the sport for me, you do gain all this knowledge and experience. So to be able to share it with others and, and help them achieve some good results is is so rewarding. I think you, you know you, you almost get just as much out of that as what you do um, in achieving your own results as well. So, yeah, I can totally, uh, I mate, I to- totally agree with you. Uh, I think some are, some of the results that some of my runners have got, it's just been a different high, but just as good as high as any any anything that I've ever achieved. Because um, I don't know, it's just nice to be part of someone's journey. Yeah, yeah, I think you summed that up well. Like you sort of you know you're part of that journey because you've you've helped them along the way so to sort of see them achieve a result that you know 12 months ago or even six months ago they didn't think was possible but but now it is and they've actually you know succeeded that um yes yeah, it's, it's so rewarding exactly and uh moving forward mate so your progression <laughs> of a runner when you when you first started the the world record was 408 which you held yep. And then you load it to 405. Yep. What's your current personal best now? And, and what are your goals in the future going forward? Yeah. So um, at the moment, I've currently ran four minutes. Um, yep. So I think I achieved that one uh, would have been in March last year. So quite a long time ago. Um, but ever since then, I just in terms of my everyday training, <clears throat> I mean, as an athlete, 
Uh, I know that um, just my progression over the last 12 months has been sensational. So I'm really looking forward to this season to see sort of the results that I can achieve. I think uh, if, you know, if, if I really um, apply myself and, and you know, uh, have the right preparation leading in, there's no reason I, I can't get a really good PB there. So just really excited to, to see what I can do over the next, next six months. Great. And uh, 350 sounds better than four, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> once you're sub four, you, you know that you're, you're in the mix. So uh, yeah. for me, I think a world record at the moment is about 356. Um, there's a Canadian guy, Nate Reich, who's um, a sensational runner. Um, uh, and obviously he won the world championships last year. So that's really, um, you know, where I need to be. Uh, over the next six to 12 months. Um, and I really see no reason why I can't be there. Um, I'm doing the work um, and everything's moving well. So, yeah. yeah, like I'm just really excited to get some good races out over the next six months. Great. And apply that going forward into Tokyo next year. Uh, so what's in the plan for races coming up, mate? Have you got Canberra championships or st- stuff like that or? Yeah, so um, obviously at the moment we're up in um, Perisher, like I was saying. Um, so after this period, we usually do a bit of a race block because um, that's when obviously you get some really good results from altitude and you're able to apply that in a few races um, uh, off the mountain. So I'll probably do a period of probably two, two to three races off the mountain. Uh, then, yeah, it'll be good to head home for a couple of weeks, which will be really nice. Yeah. Um, so probably through that period, I'll probably um, – have about one or two races again, then um, back up in Canberra in January, ready for the main competition season, uh, which goes through about three months for us. And we'd usually in that period, we could do anywhere from maybe five to about, you know, 10 to 15 races. So um, quite a, it's quite a race intensive block. Yeah. And sub four being the goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, obviously been a goal for quite some time now. Uh, and I think, um, you know, every year it's just been getting closer and closer. Uh, but this year I'm almost certain that, um, yeah, I'll be able to achieve that, but probably just not achieve it, actually exceed it by um, a bit. So I'm just really excited to to see what the results Great. will be by the season. Love the mindset, mate. Um, you just don't want to break four, you want to... Go well under four, which will put yeah. you in the mix, which would be fantastic. And, yeah. and would you, yeah, would you call yourself a confidence runner? Do you get really confidence from times and training sessions, or? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, some of the best um, sessions you know I've done would actually come from just getting out there and and just going for it, which you know is probably the times that you're the most confident. So. I think confidence plays a huge role in, in how you perform on the day. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I know um, if I look at races where I have performed well uh, and ones that I haven't, um, when I'm least confident, it always goes back to the training that I've done. If you know I've had a bit of a rough period, it's usually a lot harder to be confident on the start line compared to if you've had a fantastic preparation block. So to me, it's just about doing all those little 1% things leading into a big competition to know that, you know, I've done everything on the day to, to get the result that I want to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And you want to go to bed the night before a race. And I, I know for me, this isn't everyone's, but I love looking back yeah. on Strava and seeing 
the sessions I've banked or the big ones that count, the long runs. And I mean, every, everyone's different, but for me, I, I have to see it physically to go, okay, well, I've done the work. It's okay. I'm ready. Yeah. Geez. That is just, yeah, that is so true. Just being able to go back and look on, look back on the training that you've done. It's just, it's a great confidence booster because you can say, Hey, look at, look at all this training that I've banked over the last, you know, whether it be six months, 12 months, even a few months and it sort of just gives you confidence that you know going forward that you can achieve the result you, that you want um i think another thing too is like um you can actually look back on sessions and you can see ones that you know you probably weren't feeling all that good on the day and you actually had a really good session so it gives you confidence in that aspect too that regardless of how you feel on the day that you can still get a good result and i think you know um, that's something that I've been able to apply to most of my races. It's a, it's a really good mindset to get into because um, I think regardless of how you feel, there's no reason reason you can't can't run well if you've done the work. Absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of, uh, you know, people say it's oversharing, but I think oversharing, even if it's on Strava, writing down how you felt, oh, I felt like crap. But if you can still see the result, oh, I trained well, that's, yeah. that's all, you know, it's all, planting the seed for for oh well like you said I, I can still race well when I am tired or shit or yeah absolutely um to be honest actually looking back um yeah just over the amount of sessions that I've done the ones that have felt good on the ones that I haven't felt so good on I mean I don't see any reason why when you when you're feeling bad on a day you can't knock out a good session yeah um, one of my best sessions have actually been when I haven't been feeling all that great in the warm up. So, yeah, I think same. <laughs> that, that can just give you a bit of confidence, you know, leading into a race. If, if in the warm up, you know, you're not feeling as as good as what you you think you should feel. Um, I think it's easy um, as runners and athletes to really just overanalyze um, how we feel in the warm up before a race. So, yeah. just have confidence that you know it doesn't really matter how you're feeling. Uh, you can you've if you've done the work you you'll get the result absolutely yeah yeah it's as simple as that isn't it um it's what you put in it's yeah reward yep. for reward <laughs> hard work yep and uh we're touched on a few role models mate so philo and, and gunner is there anyone else that's really influenced your life they, they could be even someone you don't know yeah, absolutely. I think um, for me, it's it really has been the people I've known. Um, so obviously as a junior athlete growing up in Devonport, like I was saying, uh, Gunnar's been a huge influence, uh, but also Nicole as well. Um, she's been a huge influence on my career, Nicole Perry, yeah. another in Devonport. So I think, um, yeah, um, from from a training aspect um, and just a training environment like um, – it's always been the, the other athletes that are around me that have, have been good role models. So uh, whether it be in Devonport uh, with Nicole, uh, but also up in Canberra with obviously Rogues um, and the other para-athletes as well, it's, it's, it's just always been good to have that support net, network around me um, and people that obviously want the best for you. Great. Uh, Nicole's a, a listener to this podcast, so I'm pretty sure that she will uh, appreciate that little comment. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. So, Not only has she been a great um, influence on my career, but is also a great friend as well. So uh, awesome, like man. I was saying, um, uh, when you run or anything that you do in life, you actually, um, you know, you, you get to meet some of your best friends and everything through it as well. So, Yeah, um, you do, mate. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can totally, totally agree with that. I think most of my friends are running people, cra- crazy people we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so we're getting towards the end here, mate. And what's one piece of advice that you'd give a newbie runner or even someone who's been running for quite a while? I think the the main bit of advice is just to to really enjoy it. Find find every way that you can to to make running more enjoyable for you. If you if you really want to commit to it, um, you know, if you find that you run well by yourself, then then run more more by yourself. If you find that you run better with people, then get then um, you know get around more people because um, it's just a little one percent things that make it easier for you to get out there and. And get it done. That's that's what's going to get your results over long term. Just that that commitment day in day out. Yeah, perfect. Uh, I think it's being being creative and being like imaginative. Don't don't stick to the same thing that you did when you're 18, 19, because you do change as a person too. And eventually, you'll you'll hate the sports. I mean, run in different areas. Run, you know, run with different people. Change your scenery up. Move. Yeah. Yeah, and just um, you know, maintaining a good mindset that you know, regardless of what age you're at, you can still run well. I think um, you know, Phil has been a great um, you know, he's just a great role model. After that, you know, he's he's 45 years old and he's you know, you can still run a 1500 under under 350. So it just shows that it's amazing. You know, regardless of your age, you know, you, you can still be uh, running almost as well, um, if not better than what you what you were, you know, ten years ago. So, provided yeah. that you do the work and you you're getting yourself around the right people, then um, there's no reason that you you know you can't achieve some awesome results. Absolutely, nailed it, mate. And some values you live by in your life, or or I suppose even some values that are close to you. Yeah, I think. Um, there's quite a few values that I hold close. Um, honesty is certainly one. Uh, I'm always an honest person. I think um, it's always best to, to tell someone the truth or even more importantly, tell yourself the truth, either whether you like it or not. It's always um, it's always the best best way to be because that's ultimately how you're going to, um, you know, make a change if, if you need to make a change. So that's a big one for me, honesty. Um and another one that I hold really close is growth, just improving every aspect of my life. I think that's um, a really important thing as well, uh, whether it be running or outside running, just, you know, focusing on different ways that I can improve my life and, and make it better. I think, you know, as human beings, you know, I think that's one thing that we all want to be doing is improving our lives. So that's that's one that I hold really close. Great. Those are two of those things you mentioned are actually five of my most important values. So we're very aligned in that. And I think, I think, yeah, I think growth as a human is so important because we do get stagnant and stale and you get used to, what do they say? I think it's, uh, I don't know, like you get safe and, and sometimes being safe is not the best thing. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, you've got to step outside your comfort zone and, and really push um, who you are as a human being because at the end of the day if, if you're not growing what are you doing you're, you're probably shrinking so yeah you need to feel that you're always um you're always improving and, and looking at different ways that you can um yeah just like i said improve every aspect of your life and, and sometimes that comes from you know just looking at things in a different way um or just doing things that you probably normally wouldn't do and 
I think that's something that I've been able to apply um, in my life, uh, particularly over the last couple of years. And yeah, just really excited to, to see what I can achieve over the next 10 years and beyond. Perfect, mate. And last question today. What are some mantras you live by? Like a saying, do you have something like, for example, it, uh, if it is to be, it is up to me. Do you have anything like that? You? Yeah, I think um, I think one that I've always held pretty closely throughout my career. Um, it's a pretty common one. It's um, it's one by one of the running legends, Steve Prefontaine. It's to to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. And I think to me that means that you know, if it basically, obviously, basically says what it is itself but for me it basically means if I'm not giving my best every day then you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna achieve and I'm basically you know I'm doing myself a disservice because I'm not living up to my full potential so um, that that's been something that's I've, I've held pretty closely throughout my career um, and I've applied just not you know in running but in every aspect of my life awesome listeners this has been Dion Kenzie I'm Brian Lyons your host and this has been the Every Lions, Everyday Lions podcast. Thank you, Dion. Oh, thanks for having me, Lionsy. It's 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 been a huge, huge um, honour to be on the podcast. And yeah, I can't wait to catch up when I'm home in Devonport next. Thanks, mate. Sounds great. We'll we'll have to go for one of those runs. Hopefully, oh. Kale will be back as well. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fantastic. Yes. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Awesome, mate. No worries at all. You've been great. Thanks, bud. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. See ya. Listeners, that was Dion Kenzie. I wish Dion the best of luck in the 2021 Tokyo Paralympic Games coming up. Hopefully they actually get to compete and I'm sure Dion will achieve his goal of running sub four minutes in the summer season coming up. If you did enjoy this podcast, please reach out to Dion. Also, if you are enjoying these podcasts, can you please leave us a ratings on iTunes because we will go up in the little topic of running and more people will find out about the podcast. Don't forget that Everyday Lions has 8-week, 12-week, 16-week and yearly programs available at very affordable prices. I've been your host, Brian Lyons. This is the Everyday Lions podcast and happy running.